The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Well, hi to you, City Rev Church. It is an absolute joy and a delight to be with you. And uh, I trust that you just feel blessed and, and just uh, experience the grace of God wherever you might be hearing this today. I um, recognize that these are unprecedented times, for many people very challenging times. And uh, you know, I often wonder if, if Jesus was alive today, how would he respond? How would he engage? How would he react to so many of the challenges that we are experiencing? We have to remember that Jesus was not just a model for us, but he's really a model of us. You see, Jesus came to show us that we don't have to be embarrassed to be human. He came to vindicate our design. He came to show us that as human beings, we can be the carriers of the very presence of God in our lives. It's very clear that Jesus was very different. Jesus responded in, in, in such a different way to so much of what we are used to in terms of our engagement and our response. Uh, you know, if I, if I think about Jesus, when, when he spoke, the people said, he speaks differently. Uh, he speaks like one that has authority. It was as if they were saying, you know, we want to listen to what he has to say. His words are different. His words encourage. His words our life. There's something about when he speaks that makes him different. When Jesus prayed, it was different. I can see the disciples listening to Jesus as he's praying and, and, and then afterwards coming to him and saying, Lord, will you teach us to pray? I'm sure they they heard him praying, not in a religious way, but, but he was speaking to the Father. That's why when Jesus calls them together and he says, well, come here, let me teach you how to pray. This is how you should pray. He says, our Father. And um, you've got to understand how radical that was for that time. Uh, to call God your father, that's why they wanted to kill Jesus, is because they said, you're making yourself equal to God. There was something about Jesus knowing that he's now speaking to the father. He was different. But it's when he's in circumstances and crisis that we really see how Jesus responds so differently. He's never flustered and there's no anxiety and uncertainty. It's as if he knows God is with him. When he's in the boat and the storm comes up and, 
The rest of the disciples are anxious. He gets up, speaks to the storm, and the disciples are looking at each other, and their statement about him is, what manner of man is this? What kind of man is this? Jesus was different. And it's within that seeing that Jesus is different that we're going to have the conversation today about him inviting us into this different kind of life. I love this portion of scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 when uh, Paul writes about us transitioning into this newness of life so that we can be clothed with Christ, that we can start to live the way he lived. Um, it's documented in verse 20 to 24, and so let's read that together. He starts off and says, But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind so that you can put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so here Paul challenges us and says, there was an old way of living, there was an old way of engaging, but Christ has come to introduce us to a new way of life. The way you speak, the way you pray, the way you engage challenges of life, all of that can change when you embrace this new life in Christ. Now, what in practical terms does that really mean for us as Christ followers? Well, there are two very distinct things that I see in Jesus' life that I believe are so important for us to understand deeply this new life in Christ. And these two are basically the concepts of identity and intimacy. Identity, understanding who you truly are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, the privilege that you now have for intimacy with God. Now, it's clear that Jesus knew who he was. But you see, there was a moment in his life that reinforced that understanding of his true identity. And we 
We, we see this documented in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus is baptized. And verse 17 says the following, and this is when he comes up out of the water. It says, and suddenly a voice from heaven came saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, it must have been an amazing moment for Jesus to hear the Father make this proclamation over his life. You are mine. You are my son. You belong to me, and I'm pleased with you. It's amazing that God says he's pleased with Jesus before Jesus had done any miracle. Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. He'd not yet entered into his ministry. But the Father says, I'm pleased with you. You've got to understand that the Father was pleased with Jesus, not because of what he had done, but because of who he was. You are mine. You belong to me. And the father makes this statement over his life that reinforces his identity. You are my son. You know, that validation is so powerful. When a father, there's, there's, there's hardly anything as powerful as a father making a positive proclamation and a validation over a child's life. And here Jesus, Jesus has that moment to hear that statement over his life. We see the security, the strength that comes into his life. Not being intimidated by the opinions of men. Not being intimidated in terms of any other reference. Knowing. The Father has made a statement over my life. Uh, You know, I often wonder if Jesus was alive today, would he have a, a Facebook and a Twitter account and an Instagram? I mean, would he, would he have those social media outlets? And if he did, um, what would he post? What would he put out there? Uh, I mean, would he post things and hope that, you know, there's going to be enough people that will like it? You know, and remember, Jesus could have got some killer selfies. I mean, just imagine, here's Jesus, you know, taking a selfie. Here I am with Moses and Elijah. (laughs) Oh, you know, hashtag hanging with the boys. I mean, it's like, how do you beat that? I mean, I have to hang out with, you know, here I am with Roby Barnes. And Jesus was with Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine? Here he is. Here I am walking on the water. <laughs> Hashtag, who needs a boat? <laughs> I mean, I, I, w- I wish I had those moments. But you know what? 
I don't think that Jesus would have felt to post those moments so that he can get validation. There was something about Jesus that was set. It was secure. He had heard the voice of the Father over his own life. And you know, when John writes the Gospel of John, he wants us to understand who Jesus is with the desire that we will discover who we actually are. And as he's starting this gospel of John in chapter 1, he gets to verse 12, and then he makes this incredible statement. He says, to all who received him, those that received Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. What is incredible about this this particular verse is that concept, children of God, the Greek word that is used there for children is actually son. It means mature inheritor, and it's exactly the same word that was used when the father spoke over Jesus. John says, if you receive Jesus Christ, you get the right to be called. At the same, in the same way that Jesus received that statement over his life, God wants to make that statement over your life. If you receive him. This is so important to understand that the, the New Testament is all about receiving. It's not about achieving. It's how well you receive. You have to receive what he has done for you on your behalf. And as you receive, you get the right. Of course, you know, we're in a time in history where there's so much to be said about the rights that we have as human beings on so many levels. But let me tell you this, the biggest right that any human being can ever discover is the right to be called a child of God. You have that right. But you have to receive. You see, the, the difference between a true son and daughter and a spiritual orphan is the willingness to receive what the Father has already established for you. It's so important that you will hear this statement over your life. You are my beloved child, and I'm pleased with you. My smile is upon you. My favor is upon you. You are not still busy negotiating God's favor over your life. If you receive Christ and you are in Christ, you have his favor over your life. You're not functioning for favor. You're functioning from favor. But you have to hear that statement over your life. Because it will secure your true 
identity. In, in South Africa, where I hail from, in the Pretoria Zoo, they had an eagle for 12 years. And after 12 years, they decided they're going to set this eagle free. And so they had this big project where they were going to cart this eagle in a big cage all the way to the area which would be its natural habitat where the other eagles would be found. And uh, when they arrived there, some of our friends were there, and they told us the story. They said it was quite amazing, the anticipation. They were going to open up the cage and expect the eagle to fly free. And so they had the countdown, and the people were at the cage door, and they opened up the cage, and the eagle sat. That eagle was going nowhere. The cage door was open, but the eagle had no desire to fly. Why? Because for 12 years, that cage had become the defining reference of that eagle's reality. And so they knew they had to get the eagle out of the cage. And so going into the cage, they, they started shooing the eagle. And uh, they say it was so funny because the eagle kind of hopped down on the ground and then hopped, hopped, hopped out of the cage. And uh, uh, there the eagle sat. The eagle was now out of the cage. But the eagle didn't want to fly. Why? Because, you see, the eagle was out of the cage, but the cage was still in the mind of the eagle. That cage kept that eagle captive. It thought that it was made for that environment. It had no other reference of understanding. And so they, they knew they, they, they must get this eagle to fly. So um, they say they, they whistled at the eagle. They shouted at the eagle. One guy even went and explained to the eagle... They say another guy ran in front of the eagle to show the eagle how to fly, uh, but to no avail. The eagle just sat. And so they were getting concerned. Then they say the next moment something amazing happened. Above them, one of the free eagles of the region started circling. And then they say the next moment that free eagle gave a cry. And when that eagle gave that cry, in that moment, there was an immediate response and a resonance within this eagle. Because they say it looked up and, and immediately there was this sense of, of, of a connection, of a, a, a response to that cry. Recognizing in that cry that, that I was made for more than a cage. And the next moment, they say, this eagle started running, flapping its wings, and it flew up into freedom. You know, when I heard that story, I, I was so deeply moved and so deeply encouraged, recognizing that there's something about that moment when we hear the voice of God. We hear God's statement over our lives. We hear that proclamation. We hear the voice of the Lord over our lives 
We recognize that we were made for more. We recognize that we can now live in a different way. And we step in to our true identity. Why is this so important? Because you see, identity precedes activity. The way you perceive yourself, the way you think about yourself, determines how you live. How you engage, how you, you, you engage every bit of your reality is determined by your identity. And so Jesus was secure in his identity. He knew who he was. He knew he was a son of God. God had, had made the statement over his life. And it's from that reference that we see how Jesus wants us to deeply understand this. He wants us to understand that we are not orphans. We don't have to perform to try and get the approval of the Father. The Father has made up His mind about you. God is not just tolerating you. God has made up His mind in Christ about you. You are His and he loves you. And so we have to recognize that we, we, we don't have to live like orphans. We can live like children of God. Uh, Jesus knew that this would be the biggest challenge for humanity. He, he speaks to the disciples just before he's about to die. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. He recognized that Humanity had lost their father. This is what happened to us when Adam and Eve sinned. We lost our father. And we had no validation over our lives, and so we lost our way. But here the father comes and says, I want to be a father once again for you, and, and I'm accepting you. I, I'm making a statement over your life in my son so that you can discover who you truly are. You know, when Jesus comes, he comes as the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and, and the word was God, and this word became flesh. And dwelt amongst us, and he came to reveal to us God's intent for our lives. The Hebrew writer starts by communicating this principle when he says in Hebrews 1, verse 1, and a portion of verse 2, he says, God who at various times, in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. He says, God spoke in many different ways through the prophets to the people of the past. And then he says, he has in these last days spoken to us through the Son. We have to understand that Jesus is God's communication. He's God's word. He's the final word that God wants to communicate 
to us. And in our discovery of who Jesus is, we discover what God's intent is for our lives. God opened a new conversation with man. And we dare not change the conversation. Why is this so important? Well, you see, it's important that you understand that you don't read the Bible by going to read about Gideon and David and Joseph and all of those great saints and how God worked with them and think that's the way God wants to engage with you. No, you start by reading about Jesus, about the revelation of Christ, because God spoke in various ways, but in these last days, He spoke through His Son. And once you understand what God has said to you about your life in Christ, then you can go read Gideon and Joseph and David, because now you interpret it from the position of the acceptance in the beloved. You know, if you just think about all the things that, that God has communicated in Christ, you are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies because you are in Christ. Colossians says you are complete in Christ. You have been forgiven of all your sins. You have been declared the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're God's child. You belong to him. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. Think about that. The security that that brings in your life. Jesus, hears the statement. You're my beloved son. In you I'm well pleased. And then we see how Jesus goes from there into the desert. And the devil comes to tempt Jesus. And when he tempts Jesus, he prefaces the temptations with a statement. If you are the son. Why did he do that? Well, simply, he just wants Jesus to doubt whether he truly is. And you know what? The strategy of the enemy has not yet changed. That's what he wants to do with you. If you can doubt whether you truly are at the receiving end of the favor and the grace and the smile of the Father, he paralyzes you. You lose your capacity capacity to sense God is with you. But interestingly, the enemy leaves out, when he tempts Jesus, a very important word. It's the word beloved. I believe it was an intentional omission. Why? Because he knew the power of that concept. If you know that you are loved, it's a powerful reference in your life. And here we see Jesus recognizing that he is loved. You see, it's not just identity. It's also intimacy. When I look at the life of Jesus, 
I see how he was aware of the presence of, Je- of, of the Father in his life. There was the sense of close proximity. Whatever he did, whatever he said, however he functioned. Consider the following texts from the Gospel of John. The Father loves the Son. The son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. I and my father are one. My father loves me. My father who lives in me, he does the works. A hundred and sixteen times in the gospel of John, the concept of father. Radical for that time. Why? Because Jesus was operating out of a close, intimate relationship with the Father. There was this awareness of union. Folks, listen. This is the reward of Christianity. That we that were fatherless, we that were orphans, We have been restored back to our Father. If you miss that, you miss the essence of Christianity. Let me say this. The reward of Christianity is not heaven. (laughs) Heaven is only heaven because we will live in the fullness of the embrace of the Father. It's not because there's a place or there's some kind of an environment, you know, that's really nice. We've got to understand this is the essence of what the whole gospel is all about. Jesus comes to break down this this wall of separation between us and the Father. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 6 says. Verse 18, I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Listen, if you know who you are, truly know, you're a son, you're a daughter of God. And his his approval, his statement is over your life. And you know that he is not far. You see, religion does two things. It brings distance and delay. It it implies the deity that you are trying to connect with is somewhere remote, distant from you, and you've got to do all kinds of stuff so that hopefully at some moment in time there will be this connection. That's not Christianity. God. The Father will come and make his home with you, Jesus says, in John 14, 23. And delay. One day. One day. Folks, stop dreaming about one day and enjoy today the fullness of the Father's engagement in your life now. It'll change the way you live. It will change the way you engage life. Let me tell you a story. I recently had to go to the bank because I needed the bank to help me with a very complex financing deal. And as I was walking to the bank, I 
I was speaking to myself, and I heard myself say to myself, Alan, you're wasting time. The bank is not going to help you. As I got to the door of the bank, I, I heard myself repeat that. Alan, you're wasting time. The bank is not going to help you. And it was in that moment that I sensed somehow God speak to me. And this is what I heard God say. Why are you walking into the bank like a loser? <laughs> I thought, <well>, Lord, <laughs> I didn't even know you speak like that. <laughs> I was like, Lord, maybe, maybe, maybe you don't have all the facts. You know, maybe if I gave you more information, you will have more sympathy with me. I heard God reaffirm in my heart. When you walk into this bank, I, the God of the universe, the God that has become your father, I'm going to walk into this bank with you. So lift up your head, put your shoulders back, and walk into this bank knowing that I am with you. And then I sense God say to me, and whether the bank helps you or not, when you walk out of this bank, I, the God of the universe, the one that has become your father, that promised I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, I will walk out of this bank with you and I am your security. Wow. Well, I put my shoulders back, I lifted my head up, I walked into the bank, I said, can I speak to the manager? <laughs> and the bank didn't help me. And in that moment, I sensed how I was having this conversation with God, saying, Lord, they're not helping us. But as I leave, I leave knowing that you are with me. You're my security. You're my strength. I'm not intimidated by this moment. I, I don't feel anxious about this moment because I know I belong to you. Your smile is upon my life and you are with me. Let me tell you, it changes the way you do life. That's the way Jesus lived. When, when John wants to capture that, he wants to explain to us, he starts by saying, Jesus had this, this glorious origin in God. And then he says in verse 4, he says, when he wants to explain who Jesus is, he says, in him was life. And the life was the light to the world. In him was life. There was something in him. John continues to document the story of Jesus. And when he gets to John 10 verse 10, 
He quotes Jesus, sharing his own life mission statement, why he came to earth. He says, I have come that you might have life. It's as if Jesus is saying, everything you see in me, everything you appreciate about me, I've come to reproduce that in you. In you is life. You can face the challenges of life in a different way because you know who you are. You know God is with you. That means in you is life. Let me pray for you. Speak God's grace over you so that this word could truly find opportunity in your life. And perhaps even today, reposition the way you engage life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege of this moment. Thank you that we can just, right now, to speak over every individual that is hearing this word, the grace of God to capture this understanding of their true identity in Christ and the privilege of intimacy with the Father. I bless every individual in your name, Lord Jesus. And all God's people say, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.